Wild Mustangs. Those words alone conjure up images of an American West. And although a lot of things have changed, the horses, they're still there. Join us as we meet and talk to people from all walks of life and all over the country that have decided to make these unique American horses a part of their lives. You are listening to No Fences. All right, everybody. Thank you for, uh, for giving our podcast another listen. Uh, I guess you are coming in on roundabout episode three of this podcast. Uh, so we're, we're glad that, uh, that you've subscribed. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do it. So that way you don't miss any other episodes. I'm really looking forward to tonight's episode. I've actually been pretty excited about it uh, for, for a couple weeks. Got a special guest coming, well, by way of phone. Uh, all the way from uh, from Oregon, and you may be familiar from with her in several different ways. I guess she's got social media, her Facebook. That's how I got in contact with her. Um, how I actually found her was on TikTok, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so if you all would welcome Miss Sarah Waddell, we we've got a lot to cover tonight, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. So thank thank you, Sarah, for for sitting in with us. For a little while today um well, I get, thank you <laughs> i guess it's not as as late there as it is here you're a, a couple time zones behind me right now so um, yeah it's only about an hour before my bedtime here so <laughs> <laughs> well I, I was worried i might be interrupting your dinner time but it, it sounds like we're past that no we're good we're good thank so, you for having me i really appreciate it yeah yeah you you know you're 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 very and i mean this in the 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 nicest possible way you're 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 a very interesting person um you know i I first found you on i I found you on tiktok long before i knew you were even associated with mustangs um Mm -hmm. and uh you know i'm not not gonna say that you're you're controversial you know we the the whole spade bit debate i I always enjoy seeing that kind of stuff but uh you know you, you share a lot of of good information um thank you you i appreciate that I've actually contemplated changing my TikTok name to the controversial buckaroo yeah. because it seems like most of my videos are telling people, you know, no, you got your facts incorrect. That's a lie. Right. <laughs> well, you know, in, in in a world of internet, everybody knows everything. Yes. Yes. I've found that out more and more ever since I've gotten TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Which I your your uh, your handle on there is is the rare buckaroo and and you really you you wear a lot of hats and and you showcase a lot of it on mm-hmm. social media you know you you work for the Bureau of Land Management so you're you're working directly with you know the agency that's that's gathering the these mustangs that that are up for adoption um, mm-hmm. you know like we were talking before we we started recording you 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 cowboy you and your husband both cowboy Mm -hmm. and you're you're very much a preservationist of the buckaroo lifestyle yes Um, yes i am which is is awesome you know that's that's coming from somebody here you know i'm i'm a a lifelong kentuckian yeah there we have zero of you know that kind of culture here Mm -hmm. you know we we do have a very strong horse culture but it's very different you know, from, right. from what you do. And, and I always uh, appreciate, you know, people that, that preser- preserve those, those style very, you know, it's a, it's a very old style of, yeah. of cowboying and, uh, you know, my, my hat's off to you for, for doing it and doing it right too. What I like, what I like to tell people too, like a lot of people, you know, there's the cow punchers and all sorts of different types of cowboying and everything. And I generally, when people try to argue with me and stuff like that which way is right I admire every aspect every different style of cowboy and everybody's got their own style and way they do it and everything like that but if you think about it you know the buckaroos and the vaqueros are kind of the originators of horsemanship absolutely you know even today you know you talk about a lot of you know, the basic training methods that are even today that people practice come from the vaqueros and the, you know, the buckaroos that originated from the vaqueros and stuff like that. And that's what I greatly appreciate about the tradition and everything like that is stuff that people are using today are things that were taught, you know, hundreds of years ago when 
you know, the Vaqueros came over and started using horses for, you know, stockmanship and horsemanship and everything like that. And it's just the history behind it is absolutely amazing to me and the traditions behind it. You know, I, you know, that's one thing that I really want to keep is the traditions and the history and tell everybody what these things mean and where they came from. And a lot of people say that it's outdated and old school, but if it was so outdated and old school, these things would not work. You know, these got these people that founded this stuff are Absolutely. just were amazing horsemen. Well, and, and Vaqueros, they, they, you know, they, they took horsemanship to the next level. They turned it into oh, an yeah. art form. Oh yeah. And you know, they, they, it, it hasn't, as far as I'm concerned, it, it's never been surpassed. And just yeah. like you said, you look at, at almost any training method out there and there are going to be bits and pieces of yeah. that Vaquero style incorporated into that training. Yeah. I mean, they were, they, they I, were, and still, as far as I'm concerned, still are some of the best. Oh yeah. Um, and in my opinion, it's, it's something that will never be outdated. You know, there's all these different trainers and stuff like that that coin different types of methods and stuff like that with training. But in reality, they didn't coin that method. It's just they were, they're good at marketing it, in my opinion. You know, it's something that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they're just the person that was good at marketing it. Right. Absolutely. Um, So I guess let's, let's talk a little bit first. I, I definitely want to 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 dig a little deeper into the the buckaroo aspect of things um let, let's talk a little bit first though about uh your work with the blm and and what what you're doing on on that end so basically what i do because i'm i'm a, a wrangler for the blm facility my job title is basically what my duties uh entail is taking care of the horses um facility maintenance and stuff like that, making sure the horses are good and healthy, diagnosing sickness, um, making sure that they're in good body condition, deciding, you know, uh, which kind of feed they need to be on. If someone, if ones are sick, pointing that out, doctoring them, uh, you know, kind of the way I kind of view it is the same way that you would run kind of like a cattle operation. You know, you go out and feed those cattle and you check on them every day and you make sure that they're doing good. If there's a sick one, you got to sort it out, doctor it. And it's kind of the same thing that I'm doing. It's just with feral horses instead. Right. And so it's a little bit more wild at times and stuff like that. Sorting out a feral horse is a lot more difficult than it is sorting (laughs) out even some of the wildest range cattle. Yeah. But um, yeah, helping adopters and stuff like that. Um, a lot of what I do, especially with adopters, is I like to figure out what their experience is, um, what they're looking for and stuff like that in horses, um, what their expectations of what they're adopting for. You know, say someone wants to show English or someone wants to do jumping or barrel racing or turn it into a ranch horse or just trail riding. I like to make recommendations because I see these horses every day, just like cattlemen gets to know their cattle. You know, it's my job to get to know these horses and how they behave so I can make recommendations to these people. And uh, some of the most frustrating experiences for me is someone, you know, they'll pick out a really nice plain bay, but then they got this flashy buckskin panel that's absolutely crazy. <laughs> and they're like, I love the panel. And I'm like, if that panel was a plain bay, would you pick it? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, then there's your answer. <laughs> like, if you just want something that's nice and easy going down the trails, you're going to want that plain bay. Yeah. And so... I feel like a lot of my uh, uh, experience with training horses and everything from the saddlebred industry to just cowboying to trail riding, everything like that. I feel like I have a lot to be able to help these people pick out the correct horse that will fit them for what they're expecting. And that's some of the most rewarding experience in my job, because usually once uh, they adopt the horse, uh, I'll try to follow them on Facebook or something like that. And I get really excited when these people are like, this horse is absolutely perfect for me. I'm so excited that I picked this horse out. 
the fact that I helped them pick that horse out is really rewarding. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and you know, that's not even to mention the fact that if you are in need or want another horse, you get first pick. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I picked out a stinking water horse from this last gather and I knew I wanted a stinking water because they got a lot of draft influence in them. Mm -hmm. And it took me, took me four months to pick out the one that I did because my husband said I can only pick one, but if it were up to me, I would have brought home six. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, it's really nice being able to work at the facilities and see how these horses interact with each other, going through the shoot, getting vaccinated, processed, gelded, all of that process and see how they handle all these different types of situations. And it's, you know, it's kind of an advantage to me. It's really nice to be able to be able to get first pick. <laughs> Definitely. So now do all the stinking water horses, do they come through your facility? When they're gathered, yes, they all come through our facility. Um, we did ship out quite a, uh, quite a few to uh, different facilities. We even shipped, I don't know, uh, 20 some over to Florida and stuff like that. We will ship our horses kind of to two different facilities and storefronts and stuff like that. So people across the United States have opportunities to adopt horses from Oregon because Oregon horses, I mean, not to brag or anything like that, but I think the Oregon Mustangs are kind of the best. And there's people, (laughs) there's people that drive across country. I mean, we had someone from Tennessee this week drive all the way out to adopt someone adopt from the Oregon corrals because these horses, I mean, they're sizable. They got pretty good confirmation. Um, they got really good temperament, and it's really desired among the Mustang community to have uh, those attributes in these Mustangs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the horse that I have have come, and he's a a, a stinking water horse, and so whether you recognize him or not, you know, I'm sure you saw him at some point. You know, he he was picked up for a. Uh, a tip challenge in, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he's in Ohio. And, mm-hmm. uh, the, the more I looked at, you know, different, different herds from different parts of the country, the more I found that the, that those Oregon horses just really suited what I needed. Um, yeah, we're, we're I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna trail ride my, my daughter. Yeah. She's eight. She has aspirations of, of uh, barrel racing and, and, you know, pole bending, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just want something that, that she and I can go and take a day ride on. And I'm not a small guy, you know, I'm, I'm six one. I'm not in the best mm-hmm. shape. I wanted a bigger horse. And that was actually, as I was looking at Mustangs was a little bit of a challenge finding, yeah. finding a bigger bigger animal and so I got onto a uh got onto a Facebook group and you were one of the first people to to respond back um you know I was asking specifically I, I want I want a horse with some draft influence yeah you know, a, a good strong horse you know that, that's got some size that that I can ride you know I'm not worried mm-hmm. about my daughter the the horse yeah. that I'm going to train for her is 133 <laughs> you know and, yeah <laughs> um you know quarter horse top build but but I yeah. wanted something something bigger and uh you know you hopped on there started talking about the the Oregon horses and that was you know I immediately started researching and I'm like that's that's what I need I think that's going to fit the bill just right um, yeah and I don't you know they certainly aren't I wouldn't say just just from from seeing other people you know you and as well as others you know they're they're certainly not only suited for you know laid back trail riding they're they're workhorses yeah they are they can i think i saw uh i've seen uh, a post from one guy i think he's in the northwest somewhere you know he uses them for logging yeah and and hauling logs out and that's that's awesome yeah these those stinking waters i mean it's pretty cool because when i moved to eastern oregon i got to know like a lot of the history of these hmas and stuff like that and uh it is really cool to learn the history of these horses. So the stinking water HMA was actually, uh, they're just kind of a quarter horsey type HMA until back in, I can't remember if it was the fifties or the sixties around that time, 
uh, guy had got, he had percher on mares that he used to plow his fields. And he finally got a tractor to do that. And so he turned those percher on mares out into that stinking water HMA. <laughs> and that's where that draft influence comes from. So it's a fairly and, recent. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's pretty amazing, like, seeing that draft influence. Like, some of the studs that we returned to range and some of those mares that we returned, like, you see some pretty big, beefy ones that people adopted, but these ones that we returned to range were just massive. I mean, like, they were comparable, comparable to the, like, Brabant horses, you know, those really big, beefy, drafty horses. Yeah. And it doesn't just show in the size and the bone of these horses, but it also shows in the temperament as in them as well. Right, right. And so you all aren't just randomly going out there and or they're not randomly going out there and just rounding up X numbers. They're they're selecting and leaving to to manage the these the the confirmation of the horses that are out there. Yeah. When we decide uh some people like there's some places that kind of just pick the older horses to return out to range, you know, okay, they're not going to live so many more years out on range. They just want the older, like 16 plus uh, aged horses. Oregon has taken really good pride in uh, what they choose on to return to range, you know, we want to choose ones that are confirmationally correct. They have good feet. They have a good mind. Um, stuff like that. We want something that is going to produce good. I mean, it <laughs> It kind of sounds a little bit silly, but we want to manage it kind of like a breeding program. We choose the best ones to right. go back out on range. And, uh, you know, stinking water size is a definite factor because we want, you know, stinking water is known for their size. And so we want to turn size back, but we're not going to turn any, you know, stud with size back out. If they got a big old huge jug head and awful feet and a skinny, lanky neck, you know, that's like, now maybe we'll just gelt that one and <laughs> adopt it out. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. But there is some that we turned out this year that, you know, some of the studs were only like three, four years old. We're like, we can't refuse to turn that one back out on range, which like three of them were on my list to adopt. But then <laughs> but, uh, every single time uh, my boss was like, yeah, we're going to turn this one back out. I'm like, dang it. That's the one I want. That one was on my list. That one was on my list. But, uh, you know, we, we kind of, evaluate these horses and make sure that they're you know confirmationally correct that they're going to produce good stock in the future so in the future when we gather we're not going to have these rangy super mustangy looking horses when we turn them back out you know yeah well and, you know coming from from my career path you know i'm a i'm a, a wildlife biologist you know you 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 realize that you know due to Due to federal laws, number one, you know, they, these horses are not going anywhere. There, there's going to be horses out there because of the Horse and, and Burrow Protection Act. You know, if if they're going to be out there, then why not manage them in a way that's going to make them more desirable you right. know, to, to adopters? You know, it, it, it makes sense. You know, there, there's already a big enough problem with with more supply than demand. When you look at right. the 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 population as a whole in the U.S., mm -hmm. so why not manage them in a way that that's going to encourage people to want to to adopt them and and utilize them? Exactly. So you know that it, it sounds to me like you guys are doing it doing it right. When we do all sorts of things, I mean, we don't just pick the best horses to go off, but we also take horses from different HMAs and turn them out into like, we'll take a Palomina butte horse and turn it into stinking water and vice versa. You know, if it's a horse that fits that HMA characteristic and it's something that's going to diversify the genetics, we do that too. We also pull hairs on any horses that we return to range and stuff like that. We pull hairs and we test for gen uh, genetic diversity. Yeah. And we, 
you know, that's one thing that we want to do as well, because, you know, we don't want a bunch of inbreeding with these horses. We want to make sure that they're uh, genetically diversified as well. And so like, for example, we took a South Steens mare and we turned her out on stinking water because she was big, she was blue roan, she fit the characteristics of the stinking water HMA, but she was from South Steens. And we needed X amount of mares to turn back out into stinking water and she fit the criteria and she would uh, diversify the genetics there as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that we do on top of picking, you know, the best of the best to turn back out. Cause when we do have a planned gather, uh, for so many horses that we do gather, we have to return so many back to range. Yeah. And so that's another thing that we do on top of making sure that these horses are sound, that they're confirmationally correct and, you know, pleasing to the eye and stuff like that. That's another thing we do on top of that is we try to diversify the genetics. Right. Right. Um, so now in, in addition to, to working for the BLM, you are also a, uh, a Mustang owner. And be- mm-hmm. between you and your husband, how many do you all have now? We have three right now, which if it were up to me, we'd probably have 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, well, one of them we don't technically own. She's, uh, she's one that's in for training for a good friend of mine. She asked me to train hers. And I have a huge problem of uh, once my horses get to a certain point, somebody wants to buy them. <laughs> and uh they offer the right amount of price yeah but i've you know over the years you know i i tend to get them started under saddle use them a ranch horse uh for until i get their title and then when somebody offers to buy them and they offer the right price then i'll sell them after they're titled um yep. but we got two right now that i don't think we'll be selling anytime soon the stinking water that i just recently adopted uh, the first of the year and then, uh, Reba, which is, I mean, she's pretty famous herself. People usually come up and introduce themselves to her before they introduce themselves (laughs) to me. (laughs) And you said you started, you started with Mustangs just only about four years ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I know you told us, you, you know, what you and I talked about it, can can you give a, a quick rundown on why you decided that? Because I think this is going to be a familiar story that, you know, people are going to hear a lot. Mm-hmm. So when my husband and I moved to Eastern Oregon, uh, we moved and we were hired on as a couple for a family run ranch here in Eastern Oregon. And we we're pretty, we we're lacking horse flesh and we only had one horse and we needed more for him and I to ride every day and so that's when I come across uh an ad for a tip trainer here in Oregon she was adopting out South Steens mare and uh for 125 bucks you cannot beat getting a halter broke horse for 125 bucks especially when you can start horses yourself and so that's kind of how I got into it you know my husband and I needed horses to ride they were cheap you know broke cowboys can't afford you know, six grand weanlings. And so uh, we started adopting Mustangs to just get started and use on the branch. And uh, what I found after I started using these Mustangs is uh, they're pretty versatile. And I mean, like Reba, she's done everything from helping me start Colts. She's done uh, ranch rodeos. She's done ranch horse races. Um, I've done kind of like I've barrel raced on her once just for fun. It wasn't timed or an event or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. She's, she's done kids rides. She's done trail rides. She, and these horses are absolutely versatile. And especially when it comes to cowboy, having a horse that's sure footed, especially in this area. I mean, we have all different types of terrain and these Mustangs, you can take off running through a pile of rocks, chasing after a wild cow and they're never going to trip and fall on top of you. They, they've I mean, been there and done that already. Oh, yeah. They've done it. And, I mean, these Mustangs are more trustworthy and sure-footed than a lot of the papered quarter horses that we have. And I've been asked the question before, um, what do I prefer, a well-bred quarter horse or a Mustang? Which I used to be a pretty good paper snob. 
And after getting into Mustangs, if it comes to just every day getting the job done, I'll choose Mustang over a paper quarter horse any day. Well, and, you know? and I was going to ask, because I know that you said prior to that, you you all did some traveling, working on some some ranches, so and, mm-hmm. and that they provided horses. I'm just assuming that they were putting you guys on quarter horses. Um, yeah. I, so that, that was going to be my next question is how, you know, you put the two you look at the two side by side or you're at, at least you look at your experience on mm-hmm. the two. How do they compare? I mean, it, it depends on what I'm doing. Like if I were to get on a competitive level doing something, you know, like cutting, sorting, barrel racing, something like that, you know, a papered quarter horse that is bred for that specific job, you know, no Mustang is going to compete for that. Yeah. But yeah. when it comes to, living the everyday ranch life that my husband and I do and doing what I do, I would prefer a Mustang any day. If you're just looking to do low level competitions, local competitions for whatever, whether, whether it be barrel racing, jumping, English, dressage, trail riding, you know, you know, my husband and I do a lot of ranch rodeos and stuff like that. I mean, my Mustang is my go-to horse for every single event that we do. Yeah. And just for going out and gathering cattle, doctoring cattle, brandings, that is my go-to horse because she's sure-footed, she's smart, she figures things out, and she's thinking things through a lot. And just for every day use for no matter what you're doing, as long as you're not looking to go to, you know, the NFR for barrel racing. As long as it's not a timed event. Yeah. And you're going to do pretty well. I mean, I think just every day, use no matter what you're doing a mustang is going to do just as well if not better than your papered quarter horse for you know a fraction of the price to adopt one and get one trained yeah 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 you know even if you even if you adopt one and you get it to a trainer you know by the time you've 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 paid for all that you're still coming out ahead yes you know compared because especially this this day and time you know i see i see auctions left and right where there are you know broke quarter horses that are you know 13 14 15,000 dollars and up oh the horse market this days is absolutely crazy yeah. i mean and so even just to adopt even if you wanted to adopt an untouched mustang and send it to a trainer for a year you're still going to come out on the better side financially than you would to go and buy a paper quarter horse that's been going for the same amount of time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, you know, and, and I personally, I, I highly encourage this, you know, you, you don't, even if, if somebody is timid about getting one of these horses and using, you know, and, and training it themselves, you know, you don't have to send it away for an extended period of time. I, I would recommend, you know, the, the tip program is awesome. Yes. I, I highly recommend that, you know, and find a trainer that will involve you in the process. Exactly. You know, let let you learn with the the horse. Um, exactly. Number one, you're, you're going to form that that relationship of of trust with that animal quicker and you're you're going to pick up a lot of a a lot of knowledge just being there as as things go down Um, right and uh yeah i mean there's there's so many you know if if you want a horse that you know has never had a halter on it you can you can go that route you know Mm -hmm. or you can invest in one and send it to a trainer or you know, I, I know that there's several, I guess the prison, that prison program is still going on where they actually, you know, get horses going under saddle. I mean, there, there's a lot yeah. of different routes that you can go. So it's, 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 so it's there is, good stuff. There is. And like right now we got, uh, and there's all sorts of like, even if you didn't want a pay trainer, you wanted a horse. Now there's all the Mustang mania events, extreme Mustang makeover and stuff like that. You can attend and you can bid on a horse and stuff like that. These horses that have gone through the hundred day, hundred day training competition. Well, and some of these, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
And some of these trainers that do, that participate in these competitions, I mean, work absolute miracles yeah, with these yeah. horses. <laughs> um, the, uh, the guest before you uh, was actually, was a, an extreme Mustang makeover competitor. Um, she was on the documentary that the Mustang Heritage Foundation did. And we were, as we were talking about it, you know, it is unbelievable what some of those trainers are able to pull off in that period of time. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing really. And it really is. Yeah, I had, uh, I recommended it in the last one. I'm going to recommend it again. Um, the, the documentary is on YouTube right now. It's called wild horse, wild ride. Uh, the Mustang heritage foundation did it. Watch it. You know, it, it really shows number one, what some of these trainers are able to, to pull off in a, a short amount of time. And number two, it really shows how quickly these horses learn and what they're capable of learning very quickly. Yeah. They um, are smart, smart horses. Ha have you competed in any of those challenges? I have not. Um, I've always wanted to. And I thought after I started at the BLM that I would, but I'm not allowed to as a BLM employee. Because <laughs> <laughs> It's considered an unfair advantage. So maybe in the future, if I ever do quit and stuff like that, that is something is definitely on my bucket list to do. Yeah. It would be a challenge for me to get a horse. You know, I know there's some guys out there that do an absolutely amazing job. Teddy Frankie and like Scott DePablo who compete in the Oregon teams challenge. They do a fantastic job with their horses and I'm absolutely mind blown what they can do within a hundred days. Cause I'm a little bit slower. I don't like to get bucked off. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I put a little more groundwork in than a lot of people uh, prefer, especially the cowboy people. But yeah, in the end, you know, my horses do turn out to be good horses, but right. I do take my time. Well, my, my problem is, Number one, I've been out of the training game for a very long time. Number two, I don't like to be, I don't like deadlines. I know that's horrible yeah. to say, but, yeah, uh, I need to. you know, it, it, you go back to, to, to high school and college and I was just, you know, I, I hated that you, you have to have this done by then. I'm just like, you know, don't push me. I'll get it done when I get it done exactly that's that's my point of view on it too yeah uh, but yeah you know it's 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 a an awesome thing and and like you said you know if somebody wants to an opportunity to get a, a mustang that's that's ready to go all of those horses from that challenge go up for auction at the end of the event so yeah you know it's that's a, a potential resource um yeah so let's let's talk a little bit more about some of your your social media content. I, I don't want to go too far into the weeds of this, but we're <laughs> we're going to mention it because you 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 touch on it a lot. Let's mm -hmm. let's talk about spade bits for a minute. Um, I'm game. I can talk about spade bits all night. <laughs> I know you could. <laughs> so let, I guess let's let's talk a little bit about what people think they do and what they actually do because there I, I went to a, a tax sale just a, a few weeks ago and, and saw a few spade bits and really regret buying one if if nothing else than for the fact that it would look really cool on the bookshelf in my my den um, mm -hmm. but you know I, I overheard multiple people you know I'd, I'd buy that just to throw it in the trash Mm -hmm. you know that that kind of thing you know for for those if anybody listening that's not familiar with a spade bit just google spade bit put the word horse at the end of it yeah because exactly. if you don't it takes you to lows yeah and uh but d describe a, a spade bit for us so a spade bit when you first take a look at it it does look like a medieval torture device which the first time i saw it when i was a kid is exactly what i thought because, like I said earlier, I didn't grow up in the buckaroo lifestyle. Um, so when you first see it, it does look like this horrible leveraged torture device that is meant to break your horse's jaw. Mm -hmm. But if you do the research and you find out the mechanics of the bit and what it was designed for, 
your mind completely changes, which is exactly what I did when I found out about it. I decided that I needed to do some research on it before I formulated an educated opinion on it. And uh, because usually when I get in arguments, I do like to have an educated opinion instead of just throwing facts out there that I believe are true. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when I did my research on it, it changed my mind entirely. When I found out that, you know, the spoon of the spade isn't choking or gagging the horse. And when the horse is properly trained, it is, it does provide that extra signal and so that you don't have to overcompensate with your hands. You don't have to overcompensate with a lot of things, but that spade bit, it only takes a little bit to control that horse. And uh, like I said, when you look at a spade bit and I see a lot of trainers like uh, Carson James is one of the guys that I recommend to a lot of beginner people who are just getting into training because he breaks things down really easy for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Um a while ago, he posted a picture of a spade bit for his followers to see. And he said, what do you think of this bit? And I would say 98% of the comments on there, everybody said that that was a torture device and that they would never put that in their horse's mouth. But then again, they're sitting around, you know, the video before of him riding a spade bit horse. They're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they really didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And I feel like. I have a lot of followers on TikTok that I specifically asked before, you know, what was your guys' opinion on spade bits before and what is it now, now that you've followed me? And there's a lot of people that completely changed their mind because I've explained the mechanics of the bit, that it's supposed to be a signal bit. Yeah, some people do use it as a leverage bit, but it was never designed. If you look into the history of the bit, it was never designed to be a leverage bit. It was always, the purpose of the bit was always to be a signal bit. Right. And uh, we talk about the braces of it and then the spoon and everything like that and how the bit works, the balance and everything like that. Once you get to explaining that to a lot of people, they tend to change their opinion. I have a lot of followers on TikTok that have changed their opinions on spade bit because of the way that I've broke down how that bit works. And, uh, but then there's some people that you'll never change their mind. They still are blinded by the looks of the bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't help that with spade bits, there's not a lot of on paper information about them. No, there's not. You have to really, really dig. And you compare that to the amount of, I'm going to parentheses with my fingers, information about why they are bad. Mm -hmm. That's much easier to find. Exactly. Which I tell people on TikTok all the time. You know, people try to argue with me. You know, well, I Googled why spade bits are bad and i got a hundred websites telling you exactly why you can literally google anything in this entire world and it will give you the answers you're looking for you can google why coffee is good for you and why coffee is bad for you and you will get a hundred websites stating both things yep and you know i i guess which the the spade bit you know we were talking about the 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 vaquero culture you know so much of the the spade bit was passed on, you know, trainer to mentor mm-hmm. type situation. You know, you don't see a lot of of notable trainers that that utilize it for for the same reason. They don't know about right. it, and you know, it, and, and that's what makes yeah, you know, for for me and what I do, I really personally don't have the need, you know, for for a spade bit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but it does have its application and it's, it's job. And just like, you know, we, we talked about the, you know, vaqueros and, and buckaroos and that old style uh, of training being an art form use of that tool, the spade bit fits right in. That is a integral part of that art form. You know, and it's not something that you did, you know, you didn't just say, okay, I'm going to start using a a spade bit on this horse. 
it, it's something right. that that takes years yeah. to get to that point. And that I don't think that people realize that. You, you a lot s- of people, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. They think that your horse is getting harder in the mouth, so you throw a spade bit in them when it's literally the opposite <laughs> right <laughs> takes years to progress your horse to get to that softness to where they can pack a spade versus a lot of people really think that you know i'm just putting this in my horse's mouth because they're getting hard and i can't control them but in reality it's the complete opposite of that situation yeah and, and it doesn't help that there are leverage bits out there mm-hmm. that have the same to to somebody that doesn't know what they're looking at, they look alike. Right. You know, and e- even though those leverage bits even, you know, may not be intended, there's a lot of people that use them incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's just, you know, it's it's all about the the information put in front of of people. Right. For for years, and, and even I'm guilty of it for for years. You know, I used a a a tom thumb bit because that's what you know, my, my grandpa used and his, his mentality at the time, you know, they used growing up, he used snaffle bits and in his mind, a Tom thump, well, that's just a snaffle with some leverage, but adding those, you know, adding those shanks, turn it into a completely different type of bit. And now I don't own any Tom thumbs. Right. You know, yeah, we we could sit and talk bits all night. You know, there's a lot, oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot to cover on on that end, and uh, there there are many more out there that are much more knowledgeable than I am on on that subject. So I try not to to delve too deeply into that. But tom thumbs are bad. Spade bits yeah. are not if used correctly. That's the exactly. that's the short of it. Yes. Um. Now on your your TikTok, have you have you given away the the bazelle yet? I know you I were did. doing a giveaway. I did. I gave it to uh, California Rose was her TikTok name, and uh, that took me about four hours to pick a winner. I mean, that was really hard. Originally, I thought, well, maybe I'll just do a random draw. But then I got to thinking about it a little more and I'm like, I can't just do a random draw. Like, I really want to pick someone who would actually utilize this. Yeah. And so I looked through the hundreds of comments and when I found a comment that I liked, I would go to their profile and look through their profile. (laughs) It took me about four hours to pick the lady and I ended up picking her. Yeah. She's California Rose. And, uh, I was really excited to give it to her. And then it took me about another month to actually mail it out, (laughs) (laughs) which I felt absolutely horrible about, but uh, she did get it and she was greatly appreciative of it. And which made me so much more excited that someone that I gave it to someone that was going to treasure that piece of equipment and utilize it, you know, for generations to come. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was a nice one too. You know, that wasn't a, you know, produced in great volume and and hanging in the tractor supply equine section. That was a, that was a handmade one of a kind. Yeah. You know, and that, that that was awesome that you did that. I wanted to make sure that it was going to be a good one and it's the exact same Bozelle that I use myself. And it's one that I absolutely love and I adore and so I knew that if I was going to get one, it was going to be one that I've used and one that I have, that I know was going to work well. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, it wasn't cheap, but, you know, I think it was absolutely worth it to, you know, help someone else to encourage them to pursue the buckaroo traditions and, you know, potentially make bridal horses in the future. It made me really excited to give someone that fire in their heart to, pursue that yeah yeah and and that was you know that was a good a good item you know they're they're very useful i know you mentioned uh, in the video where you first announced that you were giving that away you know you initially you had considered maybe a spade bit Mm -hmm. but you know because of everything we discussed earlier you opted not to you know a, a, a bazelle like that that's a you know they they do need to be used correctly but they are much more forgiving Yes. 
So that was, yes. yeah, that was, that, that was a good call. And, and like I said, that was, that was awesome for, for you to do that, that giveaway. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, I was going to pitch the giveaway, but since it's already happened for sure, I kept checking <laughs> in every now and then and, and, and seeing, and I'm not, I'm not the best about going and checking specific channels on there. I kind of scroll through. Neither am I. And, and, <laughs> and see what, see what everybody's doing. So. Well, I guess before we wrap up, one thing that that I would like you to do, if you don't mind, if somebody is considering getting a Mustang and, you know, they've they've pretty much sealed the deal on it, what advice would you have for somebody, especially if this might be their first time taking on this this kind of a challenge? Well, I kind of have two bits of uh advice is for one get some sort of mentor trainer if you've never trained and unhandled or untouched before um get someone that is going to help mentor you in the in the process someone that you trust that possibly has experience in that someone that can help you aid you along the way so that you can make the most efficient progress uh faster you know so you're not struggling and doubting yourself along the way. Someone that can give you constructive criticism and someone that can tell you you're doing a good job or maybe try something different. Mm -hmm. And then the second bit of advice that I always recommend is take someone with you when you go to pick out your Mustang, someone that is neutral, that knows your goals, that knows your ambitions to go along with you to pick out your Mustang so that you're not blinded by color. You're not blinded by flashiness, you know, mm -hmm. someone that is going to know, okay, yeah, your goal is just a trail ride. Maybe you shouldn't get this hot, flashy buckskin pino. <laughs> this that, horse that's in the corner crow hopping without anybody even yeah, on it. <laughs> the horse that was trying to jump out of the chutes when we were looking at it. Yeah. Uh, someone that is going to keep you even headed and say, hey, you know, yeah, this horse is really pretty, but this one's demeanor is going to fit you and what your goals are a lot better and uh, or your training capability. Take take someone that is neutral. Don't bring a whole crowd of people because that makes the process a hundred times longer than it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> I know this from experience, <laughs> a bunch of adopters showing up with 10 people to pick out one horse and everybody has a different opinion. But if you have that mentor and they're willing to come along with you and know what your goals and your ambitions and your expectations of this horse is, you know, take someone that is going to be neutral and be able to be the voice of reason with you on on the subject and say, Hey, you know, yeah, this is your, this is your training abilities right now. And this horse is a succeeds. This is going to take you a year and a half to get under saddle where this one's only going to take you three months kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And this horse is always going to be a little bit hot with you on the trails versus this horse is going to be easy going down the trails from the start. Take someone that is able to give you that advice and be that, be that wisdom for you so you don't get blinded by color because you know you're gonna look at it's easy know, to do hundred oh it is very easy to do i've been blinded by bay roans since day one <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah just to have someone there that you know can be that voice of reason and help you make that decision on what is best suited for you because you know i have i i make those I help people out at the corrals, but not every single corral is going to have that. You know, they're not going to want to partake in helping you make that decision. They just want to send a horse down a road or something like that. They're just doing their job. Right. And when they have these adoption events, you know, they had one here in Kentucky about three weeks ago. The The people mm -hmm. bringing these horses, they don't know the history. Yeah, exactly. Of, of those animals. You know, when they loaded them up and started taking them state to state, that's the first time mm -hmm. they laid eyes on those horses. Right. So. And do your research about the HMAs. You know, I mean, there's plenty of Mustang groups that you can ask, hey, what's a South Steens horse like? What's an Antelope Valley horse look like? You know, I mean, every horse is an individual, but just like, you know, breeds. I think of Mustangs and their HMAs and each breed, you know, varies, you know, an Arabian is going to be completely different than a court horse. Mm -hmm. 
but still each horse is an individual at the same time. But research your HMAs and understand where this horse came from, what their history is, what the general outcome of that HMA, what those horses are like and what they've excelled in. And that helps a lot of people out. Generally, even me, who's had a lot of Mustang experience, if I get a new horse from an HMA that I've never worked with before, that's the first thing I do is go into one of these Mustang groups and I ask people what this, what this generally, what this HMA is like. So I can prepare myself. Okay. This is what I have to work with. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely no shame in asking questions. You know, exactly. And, and I would consider you, you know, a, a knowledgeable person on, on Mustangs and training them in general, you know, that, that says something that, you know, that you don't hesitate to ask questions if it's something that, that you're not, not familiar with. Um, no, I, I don't. I learned, I learned the hard way that it's, it's harder to not ask questions and struggle than it is to just ask the question and get the right answer. And, you know, it makes the path a lot easier when you ask questions and get the answer from somebody else versus, you know, trying to figure it out on your own. Well, I, I know a lot of experts in a lot of different fields. And uh, I, I don't think any of those experts ever really have stopped asking questions and learning. No. You know, that that's what makes them an expert in their field. Exactly. So, all right. Well, like I said, thank you very much um, for for spending a little bit of, of time. We didn't cover a, a fraction of what we could cover or what I'd like to cover. So if you don't care, at some point, I'm going to have you back on here. I would love to. I mean... Any information and knowledge that I can share, I am more than willing to. I mean, I mean, as you've seen on my TikTok and stuff like that, that's my, that's what I strive to do is educate people of what I do know, but I don't know. I'm more than willing to ask somebody else to get that answer and everything like that. So I want to make sure that I can help people along the way as much as possible. Awesome. Awesome. Well, well, thank you. And Everybody listening, thank you for for tuning in. Like I said, if if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so that way you don't don't miss an episode. Otherwise, you know, ha- have a good couple weeks and if you're looking for a horse, just go ahead and adopt a Mustang. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's it for this episode of No Fences. We hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you learned a little something. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so yet so that way you don't miss an episode. And also check us out on Facebook to keep up with what we have going on. So until next time, take care. And if you're looking for a horse, adopt a Mustang.